think most of you know me as, uh, as Yaakov. If you didn't know that's my name, that's my name. I'm Yaakov. Good morning. My full name, my full Jewish name is Yaakov Moshe Yosef. And um, I hold with my name both of my grandfathers. So one was named Yaakov, and the other one was named Moshe Yosef, as you probably figured out. And uh, any of you who have been here before, or those of you who are here even today for the first time, are seeing me wear this kittle. It is, by the way, the nicest kittle around. Nobody has a kittle quite like this one. It is um, old, maybe 70 years old or so right now. I think that's probably right. And this belonged to my grandfather, Moshe Yosef, my mother's father. And he wore it at his wedding. I wore it at mine. And I wear it here with you every year in the tent. This is our third year, by the way, in the tent, which makes it, according to Jewish tradition, a chazaka. So now we have to have a tent here every single year. But just so you know, my dream is that we turn it this way and we fill the entire parking lot with people, some under the tent, some over there. So keep on coming, bring your friends, and we'll get there together. I'll tell you a little bit more about my grandfather in a moment. The Haftarah this morning comes from Isaiah, from Yeshayahu. And historically, it seems to be situated between the destruction of the first temple and just before the building of the second one, the second Beit HaMikdash in Jerusalem, Koresh said, the Jews can go back to Israel, they can rebuild their holy space, Mishkan Evneh, that they can build their temple, the physical one. And Isaiah was a prophet at that time. And he was worried that the same mistakes that they made before would be made again. That again, people would become rich, would become powerful, would be prosperous, would have success. And even though they have this new temple, they would just go back to the way they were before. There's a teaching that the temples were destroyed because of schinat chinam because of baseless hatred, because people simply did not care enough about the other. And Isaiah is worried that this is going to happen again. Yes, we're getting a temple again, but what good is it if we don't take care of each other? We are now at the end of Yom Kippur. We've been focusing on prayer, focusing on improving our ways. And I think this is what Yeshayahu would say, is what good is it that we are praying, that we are fasting, which are in fact his words, is this the fast that I desire? What is the point of fasting and making ourselves hungry and maybe a little miserable if as soon as it is done, we forget? if we forget right away. Shayahu says instead, 
We want a fast that reminds us to unlock the fetters of the wickedness, to untie the cords of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, to break off every yoke, to share your bread with the hungry, to make those who are poor and homeless feel that they have a home, to clothe the naked, and to not ignore people who need our love the most. And God says, if you do this, if you cry out to me, and when your actions match your crying, when your actions match your fasting, az then if you call out, aneni, as we've been saying, then God will answer. If we really commit to caring for each other, then God will answer. If we find a way to be a prayer for one another. Every winter break, my family, when I was young, I know I'm still kind of young, but when I was really young, when I was a child growing up in my parents' home, we would spend our winter breaks in New York City. And it was amazing. We'd go every year to visit my aunt and my uncle. My uncle was a carpenter, and he was responsible for those amazing displays in Bloomingdale's. Anyone ever see them over, over winter break? Amazing. And we'd go with him, and we'd, we'd see that beauty. But the highlight for me, actually, was that we would go from my aunt's house in Queens, and we would go to to Brooklyn, to Flatbush, to Tanti Berta's house. Tanti Berta was one of those women who, probably when I'm remembering her from my childhood, she was probably in her 60s, but you couldn't really tell if she was in her 60s or her 90s, or if she was 120, one of those people, always full of life, but always seeming old. I love those people, by the way. Those are my, some of my favorite kinds of people. And every year when we would go to Tanti Berta's house, they were Romanian, my mother's family. She would make us these things called hipolocintas. Has anyone here ever had a hipolocinta? Any Romanians in the room? No? Some people call them Dawkins. And they came in like a cheese variety and also in a jam variety. The jam was my favorite. It was basically dough stuffed with amazing sweetness. I would love one of those right now, by the way. So if anybody does know how to make them, I haven't had them since my childhood, so maybe next week. A few years ago, I mentioned that I was missing my mother's stuffed cabbage, and somebody from the shul actually showed up for Sukkot with stuffed cabbage for me, so who knows what might happen here. But here's the thing about Tanti Berta. She was my grandfather Moshe Yosef's cousin. We don't really know how they were related. It could be that she wasn't really his cousin, but we pretended she was her cousin. You know those kinds of people and those kinds of family members. But here's a story that we know is true. So my grandfather, Moshe Yosef, the one who wore this kittel before me, along with his wife, although they weren't married yet and didn't know each other yet, um, were, both, um, were both in Auschwitz. 
and both of my grandparents, all four of my grandparents are Holocaust survivors, but those two were in Auschwitz. And my grandfather, as many did at the time, contracted TB, tuberculosis. And when you got TB, most people died. That was the, re the reality at the time of being in Auschwitz. But for some reason, my grandfather was taken to the infirmary. And even when you got to the infirmary, most people there would just die of their sickness. And Tanti Berta, somehow, on that day, because that wasn't her normal gig, found herself functioning, although she wasn't one, as one of the nurses in the infirmary in Auschwitz that day. And although he didn't look like himself anymore, she saw my grandfather and realized it was him. And although she had very little, which was the case for everyone, she managed to find just a little bit more food for him, just a little bit of sustenance. And although it was really dangerous for her, she cared for him during those days. And ultimately, you know that because of the kittel, he survived. We've been saying, Va'ani tefilati lecha. And I will be, <coughs> excuse me, and I will be a prayer for you. And I've been thinking this whole Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur season, what are the ways in which we can show up and pray for each other and care for each other and be that prayer? What are the ways that we, in our day-to-day, -day, can be the answer to the prayers? I have no idea what my grandfather was praying for or if he was even in a position and a condition to pray at all. But somehow, Tanti Berta showed up, saw him, recognized Panim El Panim, this face, and said, I'm going to be an answer. I don't know if exactly if it's going to work, but I'm going to try to be that for you. That's our challenge this year. How do we do that for more people? How do we see them? How do we witness the suffering, the hurt, the pain, just the people who need an extra hug? And how do we commit to showing up for them?